0: Exactly does it mean to share your hotness? We all have our own unique spark. We are burning out of control like a wildfire, attracting attention, but is it the right kind of attention? All around us are people who are campfires. They don't get as much attention, but their story, their signature spark, their heat that attracts us close to them, those stories need to be shared. On this podcast, We're sharing their stories, their stories of resilience, overcoming, how to find joy, happiness, everyday people who found their spark and made their life amazing. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Share Your Hotness with your host, Lita Green, and my guest today, Raquel Lovers. Now, Raquel and I go way back. She actually moved one, two, three houses away from me. And was my, like, right there, first line, when we have what we call the adventure years of my husband getting hit by a bus, then having a massive heart attack, dying briefly, coming back to life, my being in a wheelchair, and then our daughter dying. And we had a lot of needs at that time. We had, um, like, I couldn't walk when I was on bed rest. I was in a wheelchair. Um, and Raquel I'm, had kids just younger, just younger than my son. And yeah, so our kids are like just kind of staggered. Like they're like a year apart, each one. And so she's already busy with two of her own at the time. Now she has four. Well done, keeping the numbers up. And I had my two and she would just kind of loop them in underneath her wing and take them to the park and make sure that, yeah, like invaluable friends. So to me, Raquel is one of those sister friends. And now I'm going to cry. Oh, <laughs> Um, oh, <laughs> um, organize things around my daughter's death that are an eternal gift that we cherish. Um, a song, uh, a photo book that, um, I wouldn't have had anywhere near the bandwidth to even think about that. She literally broke into my house to steal pictures. Do you remember that? <laughs> <laughs> So, to say that I love Raquel is an understatement, because we were friends before she served me, and um, she is one of the most kind, loving, service-oriented, valiant people that I know, and I count you as one of my dearest friends. So, it's a huge honor to have you on today.
1: Oh, I'm crying,
0: <laughs> 30 seconds.
1: <laughs> Seriously, you didn't tell me to bring the tissue. Thank you so much, But. What- what kind things to say. Um, those were, those were hard times and I was really happy to be able to rise up and, and serve you and your family in those hard times.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I love you. I love you for it. And this is a, uh, one of the things that I'm always telling people is service is an essential part of being happy. And, um, it's not always as easy to receive the service, but when you're receiving it from people who, you know, love you, um, and like you, that's like, I mean, it's just, you couldn't, you couldn't forge hearts any more than that. Um, Even though nobody likes to be the person to, uh, in fact, I worry about people that enjoy being served too much. (laughs) I'm like, you'll come to yourself. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah, Well, that's what I was going to say too. It's funny that you, you use the word forge and I was thinking like service binds hearts together. Like, Nothing else. Like, if you want a lifelong friend, serve them, and you will have a lifelong friend. Right. I I would walk through fire for you. you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I would walk through fire for you because you were there for me when, you know, frankly, we had so many challenges at the time. I even had friends coming to me and being like, Have you asked God why he's punishing you? And I'm like, Yeah, that was asked and answered in the Bible with the blind man. Why is this man blind? Yeah, I didn't. And then friends that were like, I can't be your friend anymore because you're handling this emotionally so well. So I just, you're like painful to be around. And I'm like, maybe that would have been best to keep to yourself. (laughs) So the friends that leaned in, in a hard time. That just is amazing. So I look up to you as an example of service. You and my friend um, Taryn and Candace, who was my our backdoor neighbor at the time. The three of you just did so much service for me. Um, you know, that I hope to never have to pay it back in advance in your life. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, you're having me on the show. That's uh, oh, a yeah. for payback. Cause there's <laughs> so,
0: Raquel is going to be the share your hotness ADHD expert. I already know I'm going to have you on more than once, not just because I love you, but I think there's a lot of people like the two of us that have the ADD and there's a lot of misconceptions around it. Like, um, I've had people tell me, well, people with ADD can't be consistent. And I'm like, well, I am. I just don't do the same routine every day. Right. But I have systems in place and things to help me, but I'm not a person who's going to get up at, you know, um, and then do the exact same things and then go to the office, do the exact same things. I'm going to go, you know what I mean? Like, so, but people or I, you know, people use it as an excuse to not be able to do things in their life. And I think it's going to be really useful to both me and to my listeners to kind of dispel some of these ideas and re and help people understand I places that it reaches into that are not the stereotypes. So, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, I definitely was not the stereotype so much so that I didn't get diagnosed until I was 43 because I didn't look like what people stereotypically think that ADHD looks like and i certainly did not think that i could have adhd because of the the level of function and the things the way i lived my life i just didn't i didn't know what adhd really could look like because it's it's so much more than the little boy who's bouncing off the walls in grade school and being Behavior problem. It's so much more than the spacey girl that's looking out the window when the teacher calls on her and she's like, huh? What? It's so, so much more than that. And, you know, I've got four kids, and all four of them have also been diagnosed with ADHD, as well as my husband. And we all, there are common threads that we share, Mm -hmm. but we all have very different faces. Of ADHD. And now that I know what ADHD is, it breaks my heart to see other people struggling and not understanding their brains and their families not understanding their brains. I mean, a child with ADHD, typically by the time they're 12, has heard 20,000 more negative comments criticisms, Mm. corrections than the average child.
0: Mm. So
1: when you know that, Mm. you now know why by the time they get to adolescence, they're also struggling with anxiety and depression and substance abuse and suicide ideation. And being able to change that is like my new life mission.
0: (laughs) Right. And this is why I'm so... Cause we've had these conversations and I'm like, so excited to share this with people because, um, ADHD, ADD, whatever, which clarify that because I know they like changed the label where it's all ADHD now, instead of just ADD. I don't even know.
1: Right. Talking- so if you were diagnosed in like the eighties and nineties, you probably had the ADD label, but right now the, the current diagnosing is ADHD, but there are three subtypes. ADHD inattentive, which would have been kind of the old ADD, and then there's ADHD hyperactive, and there's ADHD combination, where they share some inattentive and hyperactive traits. But the important thing to know about these subtypes is that just because you're diagnosed with one, it doesn't mean that you're going to stay there. You, you may have been an ADHD hyperactive child, but as you've grown, you're now a combination. Um, because really the foundation of ADHD is deficits with executive functioning, like organization, task initiation, emotional regulation, um, metacognition and, and self-awareness. And so it, they all stem from the same place, but someone with executive functioning challenges that may make them, you know, spacey and inattentive. Whereas someone else, it may give their body hyperactivity because they're just struggling to pay attention to what they're supposed to be paying attention to. So it Mm -hmm. kind of manifests in different ways, but it's from the same root.
0: Okay. So my, it runs in my family, like I was saying, and my two brothers on both sides of me were the stereotypical boy that couldn't hold still. And both of them, when you described the negativity, I started, you're going to make me cry again. Because in my family culture, women were superior to men. And then there was a ranking of how we were loved and um, like ranked, like from our intelligence to our beauty. Right. Which, you know, that's a whole separate conversation, but for any negativity I received, my brothers were just men are just not capable, you know? And so it was um, way harder for them to grow up in that environment than it was for just me being compared Right. Mm-hmm. And I didn't fully realize that until I was older and had to confront some of the ideas around men, but again, separate conversation, but they both, um, struggled academically, um, struggled with suicidal stuff and, um, have, you know, um, addiction, huge, huge addiction issues. My brother just older than me has been clean. Um, where I'm not close to either of my siblings, um, Uh, not because of their addiction per se, but family dynamics and wanting to protect my kids, you know? Um, But they um, he's been cleaned for maybe five years and he's a few years older than I am. So maybe around 50, he got himself cleaned up. And then I don't know on my younger sibling um, where, where he's at, you know, on that, but.
1: Yeah. It's so hard. You know, just, it's so common. So
0: fried too. So it's like, you're talking about this executive function added with the compounding of drugs it's like i don't even they're not the same people and they don't remember things like they used to and their emotions are yeah. so quick to be angry you know and can be can be violent you know my older brother had some troubles with that you know so. well yeah
1: and the emotional regulation piece is so oh, it's it's so impactful you know when you look at stats i i didn't pull jail one, but that would be interesting too. But just just a few quick stats that um, people with ADHD are five times more likely to attempt suicide. Mm. In fact, one in four ADHD women. um, And I think that that plays in a lot to how estrogen affects ADHD in women. Uh, Every time the estrogen dips, your executive functioning is dipping. So it's, it makes you more emotional. You know, when we talk about the stereotypical PMS, if you're a woman with ADHD, you're going to feel that even more. Um, and so and it's hard to know because, stuff.
0: you know, you don't know how others are feeling around you. I mean, like my mother, and my right. sister, were getting epic fights, just fights of the century around PMS. So I get really quiet mm-hmm. with my period. But I wonder if, you know, I had been in a different environment, would I have been like really talkative or would it have been like emotional? I just get kind of quiet,
1: you know? Yeah, because we all react so differently. You know, when you were talking about your brothers and how, you know, it almost sounded like they kind of gave up, which is a very stereotypical thing. When, when a kid with ADHD is constantly criticized, their efforts are never enough because mm-hmm. they cannot measure up. They literally... Yeah. You know, when being compared to their peers, there are certain executive functions that no matter how hard they try, they just won't be able to measure up if people aren't understanding what they're really capable of. And so it's really easy for a kid like that to just say, well, what's the point? You know what? Like if I'm going to fail, no matter how hard I try, maybe I'll be smart and just stop trying. You know, Mm -hmm. why am I going to keep trying when I'm going to fail no matter what?
0: (laughs) And that is so profound because my brother ran for, uh, my older brother ran for student government in junior high. And so there was a voting, but there was also the teachers would select and, you know, the administration. So it was very heavily slanted and they came to my brother, um, who was a very good looking, charming, you know, guy who had a lot of energy, Right. And they, they said, you know, you actually won the, the the peer vote, but we just feel like this other kid needs it more than you do. And within a week, my brother was on drugs
1: Uh, because
0: they did not know the administration (laughs) did not know (laughs) that we were coming from a very dysfunctional home. And there was a lot because he projected Mm -hmm. so much happy-go-lucky because that was the emotion we were allowed to express yeah but it was like it was like something snapped in him and so when you talk about just like Mm -hmm. giving up it's like I think he thought okay I can't achieve at home but maybe I can achieve here and they took it from him
1: that's so so hard it's like you know there are so many ADHD people who You know, you hear the term masking a lot with autism, but Mm -hmm. it really happens a lot with ADHD as well because people, you know, there's a lot of shame and guilt for the things that are hard and kids don't necessarily even understand why it's hard. They just know that they shouldn't show it. And so they work extra hard to kind of have this facade of um, function and perfection and, They can become people pleasers and perfectionists. And, you know, that's kind of my story is that in high school, I I was a 4.0 valedictorian of my high school. And that, you know, I had the curiosity and love of learning that frequently comes with ADHD. And that was a huge blessing because I was genuinely interested in everything that I was learning. And I had a lot of interest. And so I wanted to be involved with all these things. But no one had any idea the intense overwhelm and negative self talk that I mm-hmm. had internally. And so when you say that story about your brother, I actually remember it was senior year and I finally decided that I was getting scared of the negative self talk in my mind mm-hmm. and the courage it took me. <laughs> To make an appointment, to go see my counselor, to say, I need help (laughs) urgently. It was monumental. And when I got there to the office, I had my best friend go with me, who was like probably the only person who knew the depths of what I, the emotional dysregulation that I felt inside. And we got there and the counselor was like, oh, Raquel, you're here. I'm so sorry. I have kind of a little bit of a crisis that I'm dealing with. And I know you're just so good that I can, you know, trust you to, like, meet with you next week instead. And I just looked at her and I had to put a little smile on my face and said, "Uh uh-huh. (laughs) Yeah, so good. And I walked out of there thinking, but what if I'm not here next week? Ooh. Like, And I, I was that worried. I was to that point. And, you know, there's, you can look back on something like that and try to blame my counselor. And I have absolutely no blame for her because that's what I projected. I projected someone who had it all together Mm -hmm. and I busted my butt to have it all together in that facade. And I think that that's what a lot of ADHD women in particular do. Men do it too, but I I just feel like you know, at least anecdotally, the stories that I come across in my research, it's these women who are high functioning, they are keeping everything together but at a great internal cost. Mm. And you know, they're getting diagnosed later in life because once once their estrogen starts to dip, once they've got multiple kids and they're trying to juggle it all, it's just too much to juggle anymore. And it all, that facade just comes crumbling down and that's what finally gets them a diagnosis.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've, I've wondered, you know, um, I suspect that my mother had undiagnosed ADD, you know, um, and cause it, but you know women in general you know um jordan pearson says women are more amiable you know we are in mm. general more wanting to be people pleasers and to um you know have our masks and so if you are coupling that with you know different brain chemistry how you know how do people you know i know i'm like if i could talk to that counselor it's like maybe the high performing kid is the one we need to be worried about because what is driving them to that?
1: Yeah, I think we definitely need to look at high-performing kids a lot more. In fact, there's a term um, in the ADHD world called 2E, and it's twice exceptional because you are exceptional on the bell curve of executive functions, which, which is what ADHD is. And then you're also exceptional in, like, IQ and the drive that can come from that IQ. And so, yeah, you're twice exceptional because, and and because you are, it's harder for you to get identified for help because you're Mm. performing at a level where no one spots you as needing help. Right, right. And so you don't get the services and supports that you need because no one knows you need them.
0: Yeah. My brother, um, just older than me, um, probably is the most intelligent kid in our family. Um, parents had all, but my one brother with dyslexia. Um, I, he's got a form of dyslexia, but it's really cool. Cause he can look at a wall and know how many degrees that wall is off. And he's a carpenter. So that's really handy, you know, but, um, wow. but you know, reading, um, you know, these kinds of things were, were, you know, a real struggle for him you know, getting spelling right and stuff like that. But anyway, this brother was probably the most intelligent of all of our kids. I was the lowest IQ, which I'm not dumb, but I'm not brilliant. And so I was like, I was just dumb enough not to take drugs. <laughs> and I've heard that people <laughs> um, that are really intelligent do struggle with a temptation to addiction because they, um, they think they're smart enough to get away from the, the consequences. And for a long time, they can mask so well their drug usage, you know? Mm,
1: That's interesting.
0: Yeah. yeah. I have not
1: heard that about the intelligence, but about substance, Um, you know, as far as adults that are treated uh, for substance abuse, 25% of them have ADHD, but I wonder if it's even higher because how many of those people are undiagnosed? Because it's only now that we're really figuring out truly what ADHD looks like. You know, we're moving Mm -hmm. away from the stereotype. One thing that I discovered that was pretty shocking to me is I was looking at going back to school for a master's in psychology. It was always a field that I was interested in. I chose French teaching because I thought that would serve me as a mother and having, you know, similar schedule as my kids, and I do have a passion for travel and languages. So That was was a really fun four. Yeah, I thought so.
0: You know, but I didn't want to say (laughs) you go three, you know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it it was a career that served me well, but I always had my heart like pulling in psychology and being able to help people. And, you know, once my daughter was in, my youngest was in school, I thought, yeah, maybe I'll do psychology. And then the pandemic hit and everything stopped. We got our diagnosis as a family, I think in large part because two things coincided. The pandemic brought about, for a lot of people, this big reality check of, how do I say this? So I I guess what it did for my family is it ripped the structure and routine that I had built up as a protective factor, it mm. ripped that out from under us. And all of a sudden it's like we were exposed. Mm. Yeah. The real us was exposed, you know, and it just felt so chaotic. Like all the kids online school and managing everything. And this coincided with me in perimenopause, which I Admit, I didn't even know what was a thing. I, I had heard of menopause, I didn't know that there was this whole 10 year phase of perimenopause where your estrogen is already dipping. And so, my ADHD was exacerbating at the same time that you know the pandemic the ripped all yeah. of our structures away. So, um, and that's you know, an so interesting that thing kind because- of-
0: you know, you see these things on Facebook and it'll be like, are you an ADHD mess? You know, kind of thing. And it's like, and I'm like, um, I keep a tidy house. I know that you keep a tidy house. I know a lot of people with ADD who keep a tidy house. And so it kind of irritates me that they're like, you're automatically this, you know? And it's like, yeah. And you know, you used your structures. And I'm very visual. And so I know that it stresses me out if I have mess. And so I like to have everything where I like to have it. And so I figured out that this didn't work for me. And it could be, you know, that my parents being hoarders, I knew, I noted that very early on, or it's a reaction Mm. to, I don't want to be a hoarder. I joke that my parents are hoarders so I can be a collector. So my kids can be purgers. (laughs)
1: Well, you know, it's funny because a lot of a lot of people end up overcompensating, you know, so they become extreme planners and Mm -hmm. extremely organized because they are working hard at that. And I always used to joke, um, you know, I had some pet names for my storage room, the dungeon of doom, the castle (laughs) of chaos. And I would keep my house super tidy, but oh my gosh, if someone needed something from the storage room, I was like, "Ah, hold on, I'll go get it. You you, you just stay right here. I'll go get it. Let me (laughs) go get it because I didn't like, I was okay with having that chaotic space, but I did not want to be exposed. I didn't want anyone to see that chaotic space because everything else was so together yeah. And I think that kind of sums up what ADHD can be. Like we keep things together, together, together as much as we can, but we've all got these corners where things are a disaster and we don't know what to do about it. We don't have the skill set to deal with it, but we're trying so darn hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't um... want to talk
0: about my craft room all of a sudden, you know?
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yeah. So, you you know, you might, you might even be brave enough to go get help. So what I was saying is that, you know, after getting the diagnosis, I was like, wow, okay, maybe I really will go back and get this master's in psychology. And I started researching the program and researching ADHD. And I discovered that most master's programs are lucky if they spend one full entire class period on ADHD. And How I hope I'm not. How much of the Go population ahead.
0: has ADD? It seems like it's pretty prevalent.
1: So the the figure varies a lot. Um, it's typically somewhere between five and 10% that you mm-hmm. see. Um, but I wonder if it's more because we're only now. It's like we're at the tip of the iceberg of understanding on how to diagnose people. You know, if my whole family could escape diagnosis, six people escaped Mm -hmm. diagnosis for so long, how many more are under the radar still? You know, so I do wonder if it's more, but, you know, to get certified to, you know, do your board exam to become a licensed therapist I, I'm not sure if there's even one question. I feel like I read something that said there's not even one question on ADHD. Wow. And so, you know, I think about the times where I was brave, aside from the school counselor, and I tried to get some help and say like, wow, oh, I'm just feeling really overwhelmed. And and I was pegged as having anxiety and depression. And mm. now I now that I have done this huge deep dive, you know, I've been studying with ADCA, the ADD Coaching Academy, and I've spent almost 20 hours a week learning about the neuroscience of the ADHD brain, discussing it with colleagues, reading, and I think back on what I said at those therapy appointments, what I brought to the table, and I think, oh my gosh, if they had had training on ADHD, they certainly would have said, hmm, What you're talking about sounds a lot like it could possibly be ADHD, but instead they just thought it was anxiety and depression. And so, you know, going back to do I go get a master's in psychology, I decided, no, (laughs) there is such a need for people who truly, truly understand all the ins and outs of the neuroscience of the ADHD brain. I joke a lot with my husband For those Matrix movie lovers out there, there's a scene in the movie where Neo, he he sees this world, which is fake. And instead of seeing the behavior and the threat that's coming at him, all of a sudden, he just sees code. Mm. And he understands, wait, if this is just code, I can manipulate Code, the code. right, And change the behavior and the outcome. And now that I've done all this studying on ADHD, I have conversations with people. And it's like, I see the code. You know, I hear the behaviors that they're struggling with. And to me, it just translates into, oh, right, that's your working memory that's you're struggling with. And, you know, the internet is full of tips and tricks. Uh, for ADHD. But sometimes that tip and trick might work for your ADHD brain. And sometimes you might need to dig and experiment with other things. And it's by getting to know your specific ADHD brain, your strengths, your skills, your passions, your values, that you can then start to manipulate that code okay, and those start again. to change was- the behavior
0: your skills, your interests, your passion. What were, what were those four things you said?
1: Your strengths, your strengths, your values, your skills, your passions, Mm -hmm. because this is kind of like the recipe for what creates interest in you Mm -hmm. and interest in the ADHD brain is like you know, you might have this amazing engine, you know, think of going to a car show and you're just like, everybody's geeking out about the engine. And they're like, Oh, look at that. You know, I don't even know the terms because I'm not a car person, (laughs) but they're just admiring this amazing engine. Well, if you don't put gas in the car, it doesn't matter how amazing the engine is, it's not going to go. Right. And that's kind of like ADHD. When you don't have the interest, which comes from strength, skills, passions, you know, all all of those things, values. When you don't have the interest to do the thing, it doesn't matter that your brain is this brilliant machine. You can't do the thing. You can't go. It doesn't work. Right. <laughs> and so which is why being I joke able... I'm
0: unemployable, because having my uh-huh. own business allows me to excel. But if a boss were to be like, hey, I need you to make the spreadsheet. Death. Yeah. (laughs) Like, do I cognitively have the capacity to make a spreadsheet? I believe so. But I have always had assistance to do those kind of technical, detailed, you know, nitty gritty things. I would rather clean a toilet and poke my eyes out with a hot (laughs) sear than do data entry. I've done it. I'm capable of doing it, but I'm like, I'll do a lot of other things in my business. And so in recognizing that I have always had very detail oriented assistants, and I'm like, your job, I have to to give you
1: props for figuring this out because this is what a lot of people, including myself, don't figure out. Instead, they get to that thing. That's really hard to do. And they just beat themselves up about it. Why can't I do this? You know, I'm so smart. I can do X, Y, Z. Why can't I do one, two, three? It's just like so painful. And I just like, and they just beat themselves up. I was just talking to a potential client who is, you know, a middle-aged man. And he was just saying like, I have so much shame and guilt because I can't do the thing. Like, where I'm at in my career, I should be able to do the thing, and I just can't. And the negative negative self-talk that comes with that is just brutal. But other ADHDers figure out, either they figure out that, okay, I can't do this thing, but maybe if I shift my perspective around it, maybe I can drum up some interest I can tie it to things in a new way and suddenly the interest is there. And so that allows them to do it. And other people say, you know what? I hate cleaning my house. I want to poke my eyes out. I just hate it so much. And so they figure out, okay, how can I make a little bit more income? Well, I can outsource this and pay someone to do it. So like you got your assistants to do those things. You know, there's a lot of tasks, those organizational planning kind of tasks that can be outsourced
0: 25, 30,000 a year. I had someone doing data entry because just from a simple ROI, you know, return on investment of my time, it would be more valuable for me to do, you know, to do. And I had a mentor of mine that said, if it doesn't take your personality to do it, outsource it, you know, delegate it. And I was like, but I, the component of self-talk is what I've built. Um, you know, a huge portion of my career on. And now I'm sitting there looking at it going, maybe I got really good at it because I had to with ADD. Mm. You know, like it forced me into um, really refining how I allow thoughts to take hold because it was as a child, so extreme, what my self-talk was, you know, to the point where I was suicidal. Yeah. We didn't call it that. We didn't have a word. We didn't, I mean, the word suicide existed, but it was like people just died. You know, there wasn't suicidal ideations or, you know, it was just the, the cipher and the snow story, you know, the poor kid, yeah. everybody made fun of. And then one day was dead. You know, there wasn't a right. lot of discussion about how we prevent other than putting on your peers. Don't ever be mean because somebody might die of suicide, which just. Irks yeah. me. Yes, don't be mean, but don't put on another child that every word coming out of their mouth could kill someone. Yes, being kind is super important, but children should not have the weight of, you know, that kind of pressure of life and death over words.
1: Yeah, and it's because like be really kind. The most important words are those internal words, right. you know. Which is and my I whole was, bullying I was, I was a program.
0: Yeah. My whole bullying program is about the main bully you have to worry about is not the kid out there. It's the kid inside. It's you. Yeah. What are you addressing? Sometimes you don't even
1: realize, right? Yeah. And you, sometimes you might not even realize that talk because I am by nature, a very positive, very resilient, get up and go pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You can do anything, you know, that's, (laughs) that's who I am. And I hadn't, really realized how, how pervasive that negative self-talk was. And, and that's the thing is that with, gosh, there's a book ADHD 2.0 by Hallowell and Rady. And when I read it, I mean, I kind of had a moment where I just let the tears out and cried because they have this dichotomy the paradox of ADHD where they've got one column of useful things and one column of problematic things. The crazy part is it's the same thing. It's two sides of the same coin. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's something like, for example, um, naturally creative ideas pop all the time, like in a popcorn machine. So that's useful. That's amazing. Yeah but the problematic part is trouble organizing all the ideas and doing something productive with them. You know there's another one passionate zealous idealistic will sacrifice everything for the cause for a friend. Yes that's me and then the problematic bit can become rigid in the service of a cause can become fanatical strident irrational captain ahab syndrome. So all of these paradoxes in my life were sources of negative self-talk. I gave myself props for the awesome bits of me and I was very proud of my accomplishments. I was very driven. And then I think that just not understanding the negative, like the flip side of the coin Mm -hmm. sometimes was confusing. And I think that that confusion weaves in some, some low level negative self-talk that comes in and right. And I know that our youth face this a lot, and it's, it's one of the reasons why, you know, I feel so passionate about bringing more awareness to ADHD so that people can be caught sooner in diagnosis and that people know what to do. Okay, I got this diagnosis, diagnosis now what?
0: And labels um, can be used in a paradox form as well. I'm yeah. all for labels being used as for what you were just saying. So you can figure out, look under the engine, figure out the components between the gas and the engine, um, analyzing ways you could approach and deal with and thrive with that. Um, Or they can be used as, uh, well, I can't because I have the Oh, it just drives me nuts when people are like, well, I can't yeah. cause I'm like, because what, you know, like I would tell my daughter, And any of her friends that would come near, they're like, well, I can't because I'm a girl. I'd be like, whoa, whoa, women have fought. My daughter would be like, don't, because I will just go off on this whole thing about women have died for the right. You're shrugging. You know, they fought for that right. And humankind has fought for the right that any, anything that we're shrugging and somewhere elsewhere in the world, people do not have that right, you know? So it really irritates me. People are like, oh, I can't. Cause I have, and I'm like, figure it out, figure out a way around it. Like I did when I was making very little money, I figured out that I would, the gear up to do the task would take so long that it's like, it's just more productive if I offload that two, three hours a week. And I go do something that will actually earn me money. And maybe I was forced into that level of creativity for problem solving because I was putting my husband through school and, um, you know, had to figure it out. But, yeah, um, you know, I which also is put-
1: basically what you just said is basically kind of the model that I try to use in my coaching, which is you were able to brilliantly on your own identify your strengths and you knew you had this awareness of what your weaknesses were. And so instead of pouring in tons of effort, you know, I'm going to keep bumping my head up against this brick wall of data entry until I get good at it. Right. You didn't waste your time with that. You were like, no, I really shine over here. I am knocking home runs out of the park right over here. So I'm going to do that so well and outsource this other stuff so that I can really shine and thrive and create a life of passion and purpose where these weaknesses aren't holding me down. They're not dragging me down. I'm not wasting time on them. And I mean, that's really it. That's the beauty of you know, if you can find a strength-based coach, any coach is going to get you. Well, wait, not you know, like any coach, you coach, because
0: I have had coaches that have told me I cannot outsource a task that I don't know the in and outs of how to do the task.
1: Mm, and so, no. <laughs> you know,
0: and I'm like, um, it's just not worth, you know, what I would call brain power at the time, you know, cause you know yeah. that things you're not as good at take more time, but I don't think any coach. And so I'm going to, I'm going to plug you here, which one of the reasons why I want to have you on is because yes, I did really well with that, but how many years, how many years did it take for me to figure out these are my strengths versus these are the things that it's okay that I don't have to do. And I do think that the reason I had to figure it out is because my back was against the wall with my husband's heart because that was
1: interest. That was interest and motivation for you. Right. right. So you had
0: white knuckled interest (laughs) when, you know, your spouse dies one time. I always joke. It's just the one time that irritates you. There's some things that, you know, just the one time. Um, And I don't want anyone to have, you know, why go? I mean, that's why I've written two books. I don't want people to have to go through what I went through, To figure out what my strengths are, how much better to go, what kind of chemistry is going on in my brain? And then what can I do about it so that you can feel amazing because confidence, resilience comes from building up experiences that are like lining up with what your values and your integrity and your self-perception. Right. So I'm a confident person because when people say, Lita, you're not good at grammar. I'm like, yeah, I'm not even trying to hide it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm not good at grammar. And sometimes, you know, I'll have people who will send me edited versions of a Facebook post. And I'm like, thanks for the free editing, you know, but I'm not wasting time because for a combination of reasons, um, you know, having a lot of trauma in my childhood math and grammar and skills that build on each other, then you compile with the ADD. Those are, those tend to be harder skills. And I'm like, you know what? It's okay. It's all right. I don't have to be good at everything. So I think it's really important that if those who are listening have ADD to reach out to someone like Raquel, I obviously recommend Raquel because I trust her soul and her heart so deeply, um, that I could not endorse to me. If you're going to work with a professional, make sure that person is not going to guide you in a place that is against your values. That is, you know, that's why I was like, repeat that. Cause I love that so much that, um, I was with the therapist one time after one of my miscarriages and I said something about God and they were like, let's not waste our time on fairy tales. And I was like, uh. um, <laughs> I have had babies die and they were babies in the womb. I hadn't lost my Caitlin yet. And I was devastated. And the only answer that has given me peace has been a spiritual one. And so I was like, Oh, 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 don't worry about your time being wasted, sir, because I will not be going to a therapist like that. And if you are somebody who is faith-based, you know, the Raquel has come here with the science, but I also know her heart. And so I strongly recommend because she's going to be someone who's going to guide you with love and empathy and is not going to steer you away from what I think most of my listeners, um, are like me. I mean, my old media company fired me cause I was too religious on this podcast. So people that are listening, uh. um, and people that are listening, um, probably are not anti faith. Right. So I would recommend Raquel for that. So I, I don't know, that was, that's my endorsement of Raquel, which I, <laughs> um, I think is important. So, um, it's, it's important that we know, and that we can let go of shame because shame is ultimately from He who is poopy.
1: To hold us down, it to hold keeps us back you from, yeah, yeah, it keeps you from moving forward, you know, and and having that perspective that it it's been such a gift to me. You know, someone asked me, "What do you think the greatest thing about getting diagnosed has been for you?" And I was kind of quiet and thought, "Ooh." that is a good question. And I just kind of said perspective. Perspective that I now understand my brain. I now understand when there's a behavior that I would have felt shame about or guilt about when something's hard and I think of those shoulds, I'm free of that now because now I can almost like I can step outside of myself and I can name the executive function that is the struggle. Like, Oh wow. Yeah. You lost that. That was your working memory because at the moment that you set that down, your kid was crying and your attention wasn't on your keys. It was on your kid that was crying. And so your brain let go of that information. And so I don't need to think like, Oh, what's wrong with me? How could I lose this again? Instead, it's like, oh, yeah, my working memory was focused on something more important and I let that go. And so I don't have to shame myself about it. I can just think I need to work some scaffolding in, you know, some strategy in so that that doesn't happen again. So I'm going to have a hook by the the door and try that out. And maybe that'll work, but maybe I'll have to try something else, you know, but it it works process of being able to love yourself. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah you know, and, and then and the, you, and the you learn how to love okay. yourself. Yeah, right. Exactly. You learn how to love yourself. You learn that self-compassion and that opens your mind up to start figuring out what are the strategies that work for me? How can I outsource what doesn't matter? And how can I build the skills that do matter? And that's, that's what coaching is all about. And I was going to say that any coach can tell you good tips and tricks, But a coach that understands the ADHD brain is next level Mm -hmm. because they get the true barriers that you're facing and they understand how to build bridges across those barriers. And it's it's been a beautiful thing to be helping people and seeing the transformation as they learn to love their brains, they learn to accept themselves as they are, and they learn those strategies that work for them to move their life forward in passion and purpose and it's just such a beautiful thing.
0: Well, I could not do and we've had this conversation privately but I could not do what I do without ADD. Cuz people are like how do you yeah. manage to do all these things and I'm like one at a time when I'm interested right? But I I do speaking, yeah. I have a makeup business, you know, I you know, I'm writing, I'm you know, I have a charity but it's because I get outside of scheduling things. I get to choose what I'm interested in that day. And if I had a What a privilege. Yeah. <laughs> and it is, it is a privilege. It's a hundred percent, a privilege that has been earned. But It's a privilege
1: of- that you crafted, right? Like mm-hmm. you crafted this, you took the bull by the horns and said, you know what? I don't necessarily know the neuroscience of the ADHD brain and why I need to do this, but, but your intuition, maybe even God giving I, you I gonna say, insight give into what you need, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, like you, you had that inspiration to know what you needed to do without necessarily knowing why you knew what you needed to do. You crafted a life of, of interest. You figured out, How to bring your strengths in. I'd love to figure out your strengths profile because I've got some guesses, but um, (laughs) you figured out how to use your strengths to create this life where you are passionate and you are full of purpose. You're a woman on a mission. You've turned lipstick into so much more than lipstick. You've been able to transform lives because you found a life of passion and purpose. Right full of interest. So it's awesome. I love that you've done that without, without understanding what you were doing. You follow this beautiful well, formula. Well, let's give credit, credit <laughs> to
0: where credit's due. God. And I also believe that um, God will send us great mentors, great coaches um, when the time is right. And I had been inspired early in my career that I had to be very careful of whose advice I took. Mm. And that, you know, resonated in a very spiritual way. Um, for me, and we don't have the time to go into that, but that's why it's so important to me that I do make sure that people know if you trust me, you can trust Raquel. Um, so go to Raquel, and we'll have to get my strength profile done so we can, uh, we yeah, can help me lean into my strengths even more, is how I refer to it. It's like, it's okay, just lean into your strengths, just lean into what you were made to be. Absolutely. It's okay. Yes. You know, and figure I'm out great your
1: strengths and lean into them. You know, like so many parents are are having so many struggles with their kids, especially if the kids have, have any narrow divergence and it's like, take the time to figure out what your kids' strengths are yeah. and, and lean into those and help them build their strengths up so much that they outshine and outcrowd the weaknesses. Absolutely. because They're hearing about the weaknesses all day. Right. Give them the strengths. Let them hear about the strengths too.
0: <laughs> Preach it. Okay. So first of all, I want everyone to know that <laughs> we are doing this in October because October evidently is a really busy month, but it's infant loss awareness day uh, month. So that's tender to my heart. Um, and it's also ADHD awareness month. So I'm just, and there's also something about native Americans in October. So I got to be like lit up and revved in October.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> You yeah, know, I'm like, man, All the things. yeah.
0: So uh, we wanted to make sure that we did this in, in um, acknowledgement of that and to make sure that you guys are being aware. So I'm also going to formally ask you to come on again soon to do a parenting ADHD episode. Are you in my friend?
1: I would adore that. That is probably where the sweet spot of my passion is because, you know, before learning that my family had ADHD i knew that we were extra special people <laughs> and you know there was there were some challenges that were just like man we're extra awesome but we've also got some extra challenges going on and i tell you that could be a whole episode on god giving revelation because i got insights into which books to read you know i i didn't get the insight into what the diagnosis was but Man, I got some tools in my toolkit that really helped prevent a lot of a lot of problems that a lot of families often face with ADHD. So, and um, just to take the I'd love to talk about it.
0: Yeah, just to take the shame out of the room. We got completely blindsided by the extent of my husband, my my son. We knew he had Tourette's, but with Tourette's is linked anxiety and OCD, and we got blindsided by the depth of how much this kid was. Because he was such a harp, harp, high performer. He is such a delight. I mean, you could not ask to raise better teenagers than my kids. Like, people are like, You're such a good mom. I'm like, Am I? Or did I just get really great kids who listen? You know, I did not realize the level and extent that my son was hurting. And once we have been able to learn about his particular brain chemistry, man, I wish I'd had that when he was 12. And so, um, we're going to have you on but i hope that people um i don't usually encourage people to do this raquel but would you mind just sharing your a little bit of your pricing so people can kind of go i think i want that um so that they can kind of chew on that for a minute and then decide they want to so you?
1: i can so typically uh, i mean coaches the coaches that i know that i'm mentoring under they can get really pricey i mean they're 250 300 Per hour, So my pricing is 150 per hour. But I have scholarship spots because this is such a passion for me that if there's a family that, you know, isn't in a high income bracket, but you're like, wow, I really wish she could help me. My family really needs this. Like, talk to me. Because I, I always try to make some scholarship spots and I can work out different things. And, and I'm not talking about, you know, payment plans where you're going to pay me till you die. Cause I want the same amount of money. Like I'm truly talking about lowering the rate for you. Yeah. If that's something that helps you get In help words, that
0: In other words, you just want to be able to help people and you want to be able to make a living, you know? Yes. So. Yes. Part of and me wants so, to
1: just do it for free and help everybody, but you know, I, do I encourage to you not somebody. to. <laughs> I encourage
0: you not to, my friend. Um, because um, I know. Yeah.
1: You got to I would burn out and then I wouldn't help too. anybody. Right. <laughs> yes. Exactly. I have to support um, my family too. <laughs> and
0: I think there's a lot of, we could do a whole hard discussion about money issues, um, which would be fun to have you on too. But um, you guys, reach out to Raquel. She is, like I said, I cannot endorse her heart enough. I love this woman and I know she'll take excellent care of you guys. So with that, my friend, thank you for being on this episode of share your hotness. Is there anything else that you would like to add?
1: I think we, we covered such a wide range. I'm just, I'm so excited. I would say that, yeah, you know, if, if I'm, if I'm not the right person for you, There's so many resources and maybe I should give you my website because I'm putting together a resource page that if if someone feels like, huh, this, these things sound familiar and I don't have a diagnosis or this is a challenge I'm having with my kid that you can kind of go to and get some resources. Is that okay? Can I give that to you? Actually, even longer, I'm going to say,
0: yeah, put it on the show notes. Absolutely. And, um, you know, we'll have that available to people, but yeah, check it out because if you think you have ADD. Um, if you're, if this is connecting with you, um, it sure connects with me and it's just kind of like Cal could shorten the path. So end up being a commercial for you, which is not what the share the hotness yeah. podcast is about, <laughs> but it is, you know, part of your, um, part of who you are yes. Your spark is being denied in the world. If you are living under shame. So
1: yeah, get out from under the shame. There's a whole world of passion and purpose out there waiting for your strengths that you've got to share it with the world. So let's, let's figure out how to get your strengths shining. That's, that's the whole, that's my new purpose in life.
0: (laughs) And I love it. And I'm fully behind you on it. So thank you for listening to this episode of share your hotness with your host, Lita Green and Raquel Lovers as my guest today.
1: Thank you.